The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, I am reading scripture for you guys today. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. uh, This is Psalm 10. I don't know if I want to use your Bible or the screen now. Uh, all right, Lord. Oh, would you have a stand for the reading of God's word? <laughs> I'm new. Thank you. All right, Lord, why do you? S- well, it skipped. Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked relentlessly pursue their victims. Let them be caught in the schemes they have devised. For the wicked, one boasts about his own cravings. The one who is greedy curses and despises the Lord. In all his scheming, the wicked person arrogantly thinks, there is no accountability since there is no God. His ways are always secure. Your lofty judgments have no effect on him. He scoffs at all his adversaries. He says to himself, I will never be moved. From generation to generation, I will be without calamity. Cursing, deceit, and violence fill his mouth. Trouble and malice are under his tongue. He waits in ambush near settlements. He kills the innocent in secret places. His eyes are on the lookout for the helpless. He lurks in secret like a lion in a thicket. He lurks in order to seize a victim. He seizes a victim and drags him in his net. So he is oppressed and beaten down. Helpless people fall because of the wicked one's strength. He says to himself, God has forgotten. He hides his face and will never see. Rise up, Lord God. Lift up your hand. Do not forget the oppressed. Why has the wicked person despised God? He says to himself, you will not demand an account. But you yourself have seen trouble and grief, observing it in order to take the matter into your hands. The helpless one entrusts himself to you. You are a helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked, evil person, until you look for his wickedness, but it can't be found. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his land. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will strengthen their hearts. You will listen carefully, doing justice for the fearless and the oppressed, so that mere humans from the earth may terrify them no more. Thanks be to God. This is is the word of the Lord. You're right. You're not scared. I'm sorry. That's not what I meant, Rob. I meant I'm scared. Uh, Yeah, so good. Well, nothing like a super easy, lighthearted Sunday morning, right? (laughs) Psalms of Lament. Man, this has been a heavy series. uh, And it's it's not an easy one to preach. So I appreciate your guys' grace to me. Uh, because this, this does, these are those messages that just weigh heavy on me all week long, and, uh, and I know on some of you it's been tough, but I'm grateful. I'm, I'm glad that we get to talk about this 
portion of scripture. We've said this before that over a third of the Psalms are actually Psalms of lament and yet we don't talk about it that much in church. So good morning. Welcome again to Story City, especially if you're new. We normally don't have this much kind of stuff going on, so bear with us. Um, But we want to give an extra special greeting for those joining us for the first time here or online. We want you to know that your story is welcome here and that we'd love to know that story, to get to know your story. So um, please fill out the QR code so we know that you are here, and we'd love to reach out and just hear what you are all about. I also want to start by wishing you a happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Yeah. For some of us, Father's Day is a, is a great day filled with wonderful memories and future plans. And for others of us, it's a painful reminder of how unlike Jesus some of our fathers are or were. For others, it's a reminder that uh, fathers, our fathers are no longer with us or that we've yet to become a father, even though our hope is or we still aren't the father that we just want to be to our own kids. And so on this Father's Day, no matter what your story is, I want to remind us that we have a good and perfect father who has adopted us into his family. We have the best father ever, the true and best father who loves us as, our ch- as children, his children, not because of what we've done, but because of who he is. So it's not based on how good we are, unlike my dad, or how much, I'm just kidding. Sorry, dad. Um, uh, or what we've accomplished We never have to measure up that God has already measured it out for us, and so he is all that we need, and he accepts us as we are. That is an amazing thing. So, speaking of dads and kids, we had a minute to mingle question for you. What is your favorite dad joke? Who's got one for me? What do you got? Yeah. What do you call a rude cow? I don't know. Beef jerky, nicely done, nicely done. All right, what do you call a rude cow beef jerky? Anybody else? I know you all got them. What's that? Camping is intense, nice. Thank you, thank you, good. What else? What is Super Mario's favorite dance? Pants, what's his favorite pants? Denim, denim, denim. Where's Crescene? She deeply appreciates that one. There you go. Yes. Oh. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. That's right. I forgot. I forgot that you play Super Mario Brothers character at Universal. Forgive me. Now you got a joke you can use, just not in costume. Anybody else? That's it? All right. What do we got? When does a joke become a dad joke? When it becomes apparent. Yeah, there we go. There we go. I heard one over here. That's nice. Why did the chicken stare at the salad? Why did the chicken stare at the salad? Chicken sees a salad. Chicken sees a salad. Yeah, that, yeah. Listen, if we're not groaning, we haven't got there yet. Like that's, all right. I'll tell you my favorite. It's a mix of a pastor joke and a dad joke, so it doesn't get worse than that. What flower do they bring to Jesus' tomb? Self-rising flower. That's right. We got there we go. Those are my groans. We got baking jokes and all. All right. All right. Cool. We've been talking about how lament itself is a path. It's a tool that we can use in order to get to a place of trust, a place of praise. And today we're going to see how it gets us to a place of hope. That lament is a path to a place of hope. And so for those taking notes today, this is our 
big idea. Hope can be found in the darkest places. Hope can be found in the darkest places. We will see that how modeling lament helps bring hope to our communities. How biblical hope is synonymous with certainty. And that hope is the beautiful tension between what is and what will be. So let's go back and remind ourselves of the scripture that Rob read for us today. Now previously we asked you to stand for God's word inspired by the Holy Spirit through King David directly to us this morning. Instead of having you stand, I'm just going to ask, would you just prepare your hearts to hear from God himself? Psalm 10 says this. Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked relentlessly pursue their victims. Let them be caught in the schemes they've devised. For the wicked one boasts about his own cravings. The one who is greedy curses and despises the Lord. In all his scheming, the wicked person arrogantly thinks there's no accountability since there's no God. His ways are always secure. Your lofty judgments have no effect on him. He scoffs at all his adversities. He says, adversaries, he says to himself, I will never be moved. From generation to generation, I will be without calamity. Cursing, deceit, and violence fill his mouth. Trouble and malice are under his tongue. He waits in ambush near settlements. He kills the innocent in secret places. His eyes are on the lookout for the helpless. He lurks in secret like a lion in a thicket. He lurks in order to seize a victim. He seizes a victim and drags him in his net. So he's oppressed and beaten down. Helpless people fall because of the wicked one's strength. He says to himself, God's forgotten. He hides his face and will never see. Rise up, Lord God. Lift up your hand. Do not forget the oppressed. Why is the wicked person despise God? He says to himself, you will not demand an account, but you yourself have seen trouble and grief, observing it in order to take the matter into your hands. The helpless one entrusts himself to you. You are a helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked, evil person until you look for his wickedness, but it can't be found. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his land. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will strengthen their hearts. You will listen carefully, doing justice for the fatherless and the oppressed, so that mere humans from the earth may terrify them no more. Now, some of us might be looking at this and going, well, that's great, but this doesn't necessarily relate to me personally. But as we explore what King David is doing this with this psalm, I think we will see how relevant it really is. But before we go any further, I need to lay a little bit of existential groundwork, okay? So stay with me. I promise to bring it all back full circle. One of the questions that uh, impact how we relate to God and people is the question, what is the purpose of humanity? What are we here for? I'm sure none of us have struggled with those big, you know, lofty ideals. And throughout the ages, the church has worked to try to answer that question. We see this in our confessions and our catechisms. And, and the big C church, meaning the church worldwide, has stated that our main purpose is to bring glory to God. 
Man's chief end is to bring glory to God. Pastor John Piper has added to that saying that humanity's purpose is to bring glory to God by enjoying him forever. Now these beliefs about what our purpose are, our purpose is come from our design. It comes from the book of Genesis where it says we are created as the Imago Dei, the image bearers of God. Now, when God created us before we brought sin and death into the world, we had a job, and our job was to be that Imago Day, to reflect who God is and how he loves, how he leads in everything that we do, to do it in a way that points back to him and brings him glory. How does God shepherd? How does God care for creation, for the things that God has given us responsibility for? We have done a poor job of pointing to him, of shepherding creation, of relating to each other. And when we sinned, we broke the connection between, we broke the relationship between God and humanity, between humans and humans, and between humanity and the earth. It doesn't take much to look around and see the results of that everywhere. But our job has not changed We are still responsible to bring glory or fame to God. We are still responsible in everything we do to point to him, to model who God is to the people around us. Jesus tells us the way we model this best is by loving God and loving people with all we are and all we have. He says, look, all the scripture can be summed up in those two things. Just do that. He then commissions us to model and teach that to people. Everywhere we go, as we are going, model that, teach that to people. And this brings us to our first observation for the day. Modeling lament brings hope to our communities. Modeling lament. Did you know you're a model? Yes, you did. Thank you, Shawana. I can always count on you, Shawana. Some of you are like, my dreams have finally come true. I made it in L.A. I am a model. Yes, you are. (laughs) Modeling the path of lament as it leads to hope is a part of walking the path of lament for the injustice around us. We we talked about the reasons that we that we model the path or we walk the path of lament, right? It's whenever we find ourselves um, not in line with who God is, right? When whenever we find ourselves out of line with God's character, with God's scripture, here is a surprise. It's us that is out of line. God's scripture is always right. It's his word. And so it's us that needs to be brought into alignment. And so if we come to a place, we realize I'm not in line with who God is or his character or his will or or what he's called us to be, then we have to wrestle with that, right? It's not easy because there are some hard things in scripture. If there aren't hard things in scripture, you're not reading it right. But we're also called to lament for injustice we see around us. And we have to be honest. There is a lot of injustice around us. Now, I've shared this with the church before, but I'm a person who has experienced sexual assault. Now, God didn't cause that to happen to me. But what God has done is he has, through this restoration and healing in my life, allowed me to be a pastor who is much more cognizant, much more empathetic, much more gracious, and able to walk people through pain and suffering because I've experienced pain, suffering, and trauma myself especially men. Men, we are not good about talking about this kind of thing. It is difficult. I remember the first time that I had a conversation, I opened up about some of my experiences, and two guys with me said, oh yeah, us too. 
I said, what? You too? I never would have guessed. And they said, oh, we do, where do we talk about it? You don't saddle up next to somebody in a bar and be like, hey, this is what I've experienced. Men, we have a hard time talking, especially when it comes to those deep-seated sufferings and trauma. But having someone to talk to that understands all that comes with that trauma, and there is a lot that comes with that trauma, can be a very freeing experience. We've shared this before, but this is relevant to those of us here in Burbank, here in Los Angeles. We have such an industry connection. I've read these statistics before, but at 98, 98% of women in the industry have, have been sexually harassed. 79% have been groped. 64 to 69% have been raped. We also know the men are as high or higher, but as we talked about before, won't report. That is a significant number of people who have experienced trauma. Statistically, many of us are in this church. One of the reasons that God gave us this commission to model lament is so that those who don't have hope or cannot see hope in their circumstances have the opportunity to find it through people who can relate to and understand them. That's why this is such an important thing. In his book, The Celtic Way of Evangelism, George Hunter III writes this. He says, when you understand the people, you often know what to do and say and how. When the people know that the Christians understand them, they infer that maybe Christianity's high God understands them too. This is a piece of why King David makes this song public. This isn't just a song that he wrote that got hidden away and, and we, we leave it you know, in our Bibles for somebody to maybe open up every you know, twice a year, Christmas and Easter, but, but this, is, uh, this is a song that was sung. He brought this and exposed his feelings, his path of lament to everyone. And because this is a process, it's a pathway out of darkness and into hope, there are many of us we have to acknowledge that cannot see a way out of our circumstances, cannot see a legitimate way out of the darkness we're in. And so today, let's walk together through David's path of lament, and then we'll come back to the lessons we can take from that for our own life. For those, who are, those of you who have been with us uh, as we've been talking, we've talked about how there are steps in this path. The first step on that path is to turn. Turning is the most important step in this path. It's, it's not about doing something different. It's about orienting our hearts in prayer to God. It doesn't mean that we give up our emotions or that we've resolved anything. It doesn't mean that we're not accusing God. This is real. It doesn't mean we're not angry or hurt any longer. It's simply the act of engaging instead of running away. It's about confronting God with the truth of what we're thinking, feeling, experiencing, and wrestling with, and believing that God is a God who does and will hear us. We see this in verse 1. David has something he's been wrestling with. He's been carrying this, and it, it explodes out of him in this way. And he says, verse 1, Lord, why do you stand for, so far away? Again, none of us have asked this, God, where are you? Why do you hide in times of trouble? He's not just saying, God, you're far away. Like, hey, I know you're busy. There's a couple billion people on this planet. I hope you have time to get to me. No, he's like, God, you're hiding from me. You're purposefully playing games with me. You're not here when you should be here. Where are you? 
Now, I want to remind us, again, this isn't kind, pleasant questioning of God. This is visceral. It's confrontational. It's accusatory. But it's still directed to God. And it expects a response from God. That's what turning is all about. The second path, the second step in our path of lament is to complain. Now, biblical complaint is about, as Rokop writes, identifying in blunt language the specific pain or injustice. It's about naming it specifically. That's important. We see King David do this in verses 2 to 11. He says, In arrogance, the wicked relentlessly pursue their victims. Let them be caught in the schemes they have devised. He's sarcastic here, right? He's angry here. You can see it coming off the words. For the wicked one boasts about his own cravings. The one, who, the one who is greedy curses and despises the Lord. It's almost like he's saying, God, you're really going to let him get away with this? In all his scheming, the wicked person arrogantly thinks, there's no accountability since there's no God. His ways are always secure. Your lofty judgments have no effect on him. He scoffs at all his adversaries. He says to himself, I'll never be moved. From generation to generation, I will be without calamity. Cursing, deceit, and violence fill his mouth. Trouble and malice are under his tongue. He waits in ambush near settlements. He kills the innocent in secret places. His eyes are on the lookout for the helpless. He lurks in secret like a lion in the thicket. He lurks in order to seize a victim. He seizes a victim and drags him in his net. So he is oppressed and beaten down. Helpless people fall because of the wicked one's strength. He says to himself, God is forgotten. He hides his face and will never see. David is crying out. He's pleading his case to God. God, the wicked people relentlessly and with impunity, I might add, go after those who can't protect themselves. Like, don't you see this? They brag about all they want and take. Because you haven't acted, they actually have come to the place where they say there is no God. Really? You're going to let that stand? On top of that, the evil person is happy and healthy and wealthy at the expense of their victims. We see in David's soliloquy that the wicked aren't the only ones wondering if God cares. There's something powerful and important about naming the actual issue. Look, it's it's part of why we make our statement for Juneteenth. I was having a discussion not too long ago with a police officer, and and we were wrestling with this, like, ideal, right? And as a former police officer myself, uh, he he felt comfortable enough to open up about his frustration about some of the things that have been happening and how uh, it seemed as if to him, his perspective was that, that people were not giving law enforcement their side of things, that it was just everybody hates cops and defund the police. And he was saying it's not fair. And he was, he was struggling with, but in this circumstance, this had happened. In this circumstance, this had happened. He's trying to weigh through each and every individual circumstance. And so I stopped him. I said, hey, look, let's, let's reframe things just a second. Whether or not what you're saying is valid or not, I, I have a question for you. Here's my question, friend. Are black people in the United States treated equally to white people? And instantly he was like, no. No, I've seen that with my friend. They, they have not. I don't believe they are. So let's back up and start there. Because many of, my, many of my friends in the African-American community feel like we jump so quickly past that one point that we invalidate their experiences and disregard their complaint by, by trying to argue whether something was or wasn't legal that led to this. But the reality is, is that we're, we're dismissing a truth that is there at the beginning. 
And if we want to move forward into any sort of hope in dark places, we have to have meaningful discussions. But we can't have meaningful discussions if we can't even start on the same premise. We have to admit there's a problem. And this is exactly what David is doing. David is calling it out. He's being, this, he's being so honest and visceral and, and angry because he's saying there is a problem. And if you can't at least agree with me on that, David is saying, like, look, we, we, we have nowhere to go. This is why I'm having an issue with you, God. Before we can ask God for an appropriate response, we also need to have been able to wrestle ourselves with what our complaint really is. And so the next step in our path to lament is to ask. Frogrop clarifies that this is about asking God boldly and specifically to act in a manner that fits his character and resolves your complaint. We see this in 12, verses 12 to 15. David says this. He says, rise up, Lord God. Rise up. Lift up your hand. The hand is about power. It's about uh, movement, right? When he says break the arm of the wicked, he's saying break the power of the wicked. Take away their ability to act. Lift up your hand. Do not forget the oppressed. Why has the wicked person despised God? He says to himself, you will not demand an account. But you yourself have seen trouble and grief, observing it in order to take the matter into your hands. The helpless one entrusts himself to you. You are a helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked evil person until you look for his wickedness, but it cannot be found. That's what he's asking God to do. God, move. Do something here. Don't sit back any longer. You can't hide from us. We need you to act. He's asking boldly and specifically. The last step in our path to lament is to trust, to trust God, to trust him with us, to trust him with our complaint, to trust him with the injustice. Rogrop says this is about affirming God's worthiness to be trusted and committing to praising him before we even see him act. I want to remind us this isn't about resolution. This is about Uh, Submitting ourselves to God and trusting in his nature, character, and plan are good, right, and better than ours, even when we don't understand. That's a part of this path to to lament. This is really trust over belief. Trust over belief. For those who have not been with us, we've been talking about, excuse me, trust is when God says, this is what's going to happen, and we believe him. Faith is when we say, God says, go. And we go, okay, I believe you are who you say you are, and so it's going to work out okay, even though you haven't told me the answer. But this is where God has said, I am who I am. He's given us his character, nature, and we know that what he says is going to be true. For those taking notes today, this brings us to our second observation for today. Biblical hope is synonymous with certainty. Biblical hope is synonymous with certainty. Don't ask me to spell it. I have no idea. Biblical hope is synonymous with certainty. Like we discussed last week, we look outside of ourselves and our circumstances and see God's track record. His track record is one of faithfulness. We know what King David had only hoped for, that Jesus has come and conquered sin and death and made a way for all things to be set right as he ushered in the kingdom that we are now citizens of. That we have answers of how God will bring about reconciliation and restoration once and for all. The writers of the Psalms did not have that. It was still a long way off hope for them. 
And so David is trusting God as he reminds himself and all those engaging this song who God is and what God has done. Verse 16. The Lord is king forever and ever. Again, David's complaint has not been resolved, but he moves to this place of trust. The nations will perish from this land. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will strengthen their hearts. You will listen carefully, doing justice for the fatherless and the oppressed, so that mere humans from the earth may terrify them no more. We know what God has promised in his word, that he is slow to anger and abounding in love, that he will never leave us or abandon us, that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that he is with us and sent his spirit to guide and teach and equip us for all that he has called us to be and do, that his ways and plans are better for us than our own, that he's our provider and protector and avenger and healer and father. David is reminding us that we can hold to the truth of who God is and what God has done as we look to what he will do. Family, I've stood on the streets of Selma, Alabama, where evil men attack children with fire hoses, dogs, and batons. I've been in 16th Street Baptist Church where four little girls were killed in a bombing. Family, in those days, the black community had difficulty imagining a day where we could, as a nation, be even celebrating, even be thinking about celebrating Juneteenth. Many wondered if Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s peaceful approach would ever be enough. Would love win? The answer is that it has, it continues to, and it will. This brings us to our third and final observation for the day. Hope is the beautiful tension between what is and what will be. Hope is the beautiful tension between what is and what will be. One of the challenges that we have is that while we know Jesus has ushered in this new kingdom, we are still living in the now and the not yet. We say that we've, you've probably heard this before if you've been here, that we have been saved, we are being saved, we will be saved. Meaning that Jesus has justified us for those who are apprentices of him that we now have right standing with God. That he has given us his righteousness as his own. That he is sanctifying us. That's the big Christianese word for finally making us better than we're supposed to be. Making us more and more like him through his spirit each and every day. And that one day he will finally make all things new and complete and right in the new heavens and the new earth. But there's a struggle that happens in the meantime. And this is what Apostle Paul describes in his own life when he writes in Romans chapter 7, verses 15 to 20. For I do not understand what I'm doing because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Now if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law and that's good. So now I'm no longer the one doing it, but it's sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil I do not want to do. Now, if I do not do what I want to do, I am no longer the one that does it, but it is sin that lives in me. If you are as confused as me, it's okay. What he's saying is, I am at war with my own flesh. My heart wants to do what's right, but I still struggle with this ability, and I can't because my flesh keeps pulling me back. We live in the now and the not yet. For those who are apprenticing Jesus, we are being changed, but we are fully aware of how far we need to go. If you're not, just ask someone close to you. They will be happy to tell you how far you still have to go. But beyond the personal 
the world around us is still waiting for these same answers, family. This is why, going back to the beginning of the message today, I said that modeling the path of lament as it leads to hope is part of walking the path of lament for the injustice around us. I was striking with the WGA this week, and people inevitably asked me, who are you and why are you here? I said our church has a number of people in the industry, and so it's important that we represent, that we show our support. And it did not take long for them to go, okay, let me ask you a question. Where is God in the midst of all the injustice? (laughs) Hi, nice to meet you. Where's God? I acknowledge that it can be hard to see God when there's so much brokenness and pain But I pointed out two things. I pointed out that the reality is that humans brought this pain upon ourselves because we are the ones that operate in a way that is different than how God intended for us. That we are the ones who created a world that's so contrary to what God wanted for us. But I also pointed out that we see God when we see his people being obedient to him. You look around and you look at health care. We look at education. We look at the poorest of the poor communities. If you look in any of those places, inevitably you will find Christians who are there sacrificing because they love Jesus and they love people. Anywhere there is pain and brokenness, there are Christians right in the middle as models to the world around them. Why? Because our job is still the same. And everything we do to point back to God, to show all of creation by the way we interact with it and with each other, how God loves, how he leads, how he shepherds, and how he rules. As we're transparent about what God is doing in our life, as we walk the path of lament and turning, complaining, asking, and ultimately trusting in who God is, what he has done, who that makes us, and what that drives us to do, family, we bring hope to the communities that they desperately need. As we walk away from this message today, I pray that this drives us, that it moves us. It moves us not to fear, lament, but to engage it willingly as it brings hope to us and to our communities. That we would walk in confidence because of the certainty we have and the biblical hope that we've been promised. And that we would remember that that hope is already ours for those who are apprenticing Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you, God. that you are who you say you are, that you are faithful and good and true, that you have conquered sin and death and evil and you will bring restoration and healing. We believe, help us in our unbelief. God, would you bring hope to our hearts and help us bring hope to the community around us that you have placed us in as we love you and we love people. Break our hearts for what breaks yours in the name of Jesus.